It's the last episode of Season 4 of Defender Radio, and that means a contest. All you have to do is sign up to get the Fur Bears e-news and Defender Radio updates at thefurbears.com updates, and you'll be entered in a chance to win an amazing gift bag from Lush Cosmetics. If you're already registered to get Defender Radio updates, you'll be automatically entered in the contest. But if you're not, head to thefurbears.com updates, make sure you click the opt-in button, and get your chance to win. This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of October 30, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 452 of Defender Radio. Going green is a good idea. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't want to see a more sustainable world that lessens our impact on the planet, habitats, ecosystems, and individual animals, regardless of their political affiliations. But how to get there, and what will or won't work, remains controversial. Curbing greenhouse gas emissions elicits a highly politicized conversation, with sides across the spectrum using misinformation and disinformation to push for their own plans and undermine those of their opponents. The questions must become what actions are available and practical for all political parties. How can industries transform without costing working families their livelihoods? And what can we do as individuals on a day-to-day basis? To help talk about these important questions, Defender Radio was joined by an authority on the politics of going green, Elizabeth May, leader of the Green Party of Canada. We'll hear from Ms. May after this brief break. When I'm looking for a meal that satisfies my hunger and my ethics, I head to the Hardy Hooligan here in Hamilton. They have incredible vegan versions of egg salad, chicken salad, and tuna salad daily, as well as savory pies, including my favorite, shepherd's pie pasty. They have amazing desserts and even locally roasted coffee in biodegradable cups. The Hardy Hooligan is definitely food worth rioting for. Check them out at 368 Main West in Hamilton, right by Lock Street, or find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at thehardyhooligan.com. To, to start out, when we're talking about climate change, so I, to be clear, I'm, I'm, there, there's no discussion to me that there is climate change, there's no discussion to me that we're responsible, and there's no discussion to me that it sucks. So, right. Um, <laughs> At times, it feels overwhelming, though, when we're, when we're talking about this, particularly with policy. So where do we start with, with the environment and with climate change policy? I think the important thing is to make it less overwhelming. It, let's break it down. Uh, we do have, you know, climate science, as you say, is, is overwhelming and it can be paralyzingly scary uh, in, in that we know we must transition off fossil fuels and we have run out of time for procrastination. But when you break it down, it's not as though every single Canadian has to change everything that we do as individuals and everyone has to be guilt-tripped into doing things. We need to do two things, and they require government policy, and they will make sense for the economy. The first step is getting fossil fuels out of making our electricity. Uh, the short form of describing that is decarbonizing electricity, mm-hmm. which means going to 100% renewables. 
which is 100% possible. We can, we have solar, wind, uh, hydro. We already are very dependent on hydro, but that's a lot of that is the older legacy hydro that did a lot of damage to the environment, flooding large areas. But we have a lot of access now to run of the river hydro. We can do more with that. We can do much more with solar and wind and geothermal and tidal. And so that that first piece of getting carbon out of electricity is relatively easy, especially if we do if we improve our east-west electricity links. So getting uh, you know, Alberta says it's going to get rid of its coal, but it's planning to move to natural gas. That's not going to help us very much if the natural gas is from fracked sources. Mm-hmm. We need to help Alberta leapfrog over another fossil fuel source and go straight to clean energy. The same thing for Saskatchewan and so on. So get fossil fuels out of electricity. Then step two, get rid of the internal combustion engine. Once we're operating on uh, electricity from green and renewable sources, Oh, the vehicle fleets are on the way already to moving quite sharply towards electric vehicles, zero emission vehicles. Uh, there, this, this is already starting across Canada, but when the price drops, not every, no one can afford it that I know can afford to buy a Tesla, but we can afford to buy a Nissan Leaf. And as the technology improves and the price comes down, we'll start seeing more and more people uh, and more and more transportation um, of our bus fleets and our trains going to electric. So when you break it down that way, it, it, you know that's just one example. You know, getting to electricity that's renewable, getting rid of internal combustion engine. Then what you're looking at is, well, what do you do with tractors? Well, let's let's look at what we can do with biodiesel. We can do a lot with biodiesel. We don't want to to make it harder for farm families to make a living. So let's pay, pay attention to what we need for specific sectors to make sure they're not disadvantaged. But all of this takes uh, leadership. The leadership has to come from government and industry, uh, but government has to set the signals because uh, investors want to know where they should put their money to make money. And you need to send a signal to investors pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to invest in converting coal plants to natural gas plants if in order to meet our carbon objectives, we're going to have to get rid of the natural gas plants within 20 years. So let's let's be clear on our objectives and set the targets so that investors can make sensible investments that make them money. Do we have to create policy then that effectively can force this? And, and that sort of feels like where we're at with some of it when we talk about uh, carbon taxes and things like that. Uh, you've got one side who says it's the first step, it's absolutely essential. And you've got another side that says this is the hill that we're going to die on. Uh, how do we how do we get that policy in place without effectively forcing change on people, which traditionally is not worked out that well? It has worked out well, actually. I mean, it, it, I'm afraid you don't get much change if you just wring your hands. So, for instance, getting lead out of gasoline. Mm-hmm. I mean, people forget that we actually did things, right? Lead and gasoline was causing reduced IQ over large populations of children, and it didn't, you know, it, it took a long time because of the strength of the lobby. Of, of leaded gasoline to get lead out of gasoline, but when you regulate, you do it. Um, no Canadians suffered saying, gee, I, I, I really love that lead in my gasoline. The anti-knock agents changed, but you still had anti-knock agents. Or for instance, fighting that acid rain battle in the 1980s. We had large corporations that said, if you make us take sulfur out of our smokestacks, you make us capture the sulfur instead of sending it thousands of kilometers away to kill forests and rivers and lakes and other areas. You force us to do that. We'll put people out of work and it'll be an economic disaster. It wasn't. 
they they're smart. Corporations are uh, innovative, and in the case of Inco, which was one of the ones screaming the loudest that if we, they were forced to reduce sulfur from their smelter, uh, they would close. That's what they told the government. They were, they were, but they put scrubbers on the smokestacks, captured the sulfur, and turned out that was a saleable product and became a new profit center for the corporation. Hmm. So we have a history of this. We know, you know, I could go on and on about examples of, yep, we regulated, yeah, industry adapted. Sky didn't fall. You know, our economy grew. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of very good evidence that regulating to higher environmental standards improves a country's competitiveness and forces various industries to modernize to keep up with uh, the new standards that they're being required to meet. So in the case of carbon taxes, they are a small step towards, re to, towards remedying what is basically market failure that the cost of dumping pollution in something that's commonly owned, in the case of climate change, we're talking about the atmosphere, but you can talk about the cost of dumping pollution in a local stream. The cost of dumping pollution should not be free because in our market economy, corporations account for things they have to pay for. So the cost of labor, the cost of goods, cost of processing, all of that goes into figuring out how you, how you meet your bottom line. If dumping pollution for free, in other words, basically running a city dump with no tipping fee, nobody does that. So carbon tax is basically just putting a price on dumping into our common atmosphere. But by itself, it doesn't come close to meeting any of the objectives. It just corrects for that one piece of market failure. On top of that, you need clear signals and leadership that say, we are, you know, it's a signal, it's a pricing signal that you'll save money if you reduce carbon, but it sends another and very useful signal to say, here's an incentive to homeowners to make your home more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. We used to have those. You know, let's let's look at, is, is your house insulated as much as you could insulate it so that in the winter, you're saving money on your fuel heating bills because you're not heating the outdoors. And in the summer, you save money on your electricity bills because you're not air conditioning yep. and making, trying to make the outdoors colder in the summer and warmer in the winter because your house isn't insulated. Well, the, the incentives to do common sense things are not currently in place at the federal level. I, I, I'm, I'm baffled by this. These were very popular programs, but they should be extended to such things as encouraging homeowners not just to make their, their properties more energy efficient, but to, to create their own uh, energy sources. So mm. with, with the, the plummeting price of solar panels, uh, many Canadians, depending on how their home is sited and if they have access to their own roof, can be generating all their own electricity after they install the solar panels for free from their own roof. Now, this is this is great. I mean, and what Canadian wouldn't want to know yep. that their hydro bills are over because they're generating their own electricity and whatever is excess, they sell back into the grid. I, I have friends who do that. It's fantastic. I don't happen to be in a position to do that because I live in an apartment building. But boy, is it exciting when you watch the meter on your own home show that you're generating more electricity than you need, and it is currently making you money because it's being sold back into the grid. These are not futuristic descriptions of what might be possible. These are things that Canadians are doing today, but there is no government policy at the federal level that is encouraging them to do more. 
one of the things that I hear, and I have family in Alberta, uh, I'm in Hamilton, and they they say, you know, as much as they love the environment, as much as they want to do better, they look around and their friends and family are employed by the oil industry one way or another. And they're saying, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job if we change. And this is not the, the high, you know, pie in the sky policy level, but that very real conversation around the dinner table. How do we approach that and change that attitude that, um, you know, and I, and I am, I, I believe that, you know, one industry can replace it uh, or multiple industries can replace it. But how do we show that that's possible without direct harm coming to all of these families? Well, we're, we're smart enough to figure it out and do it right. And that's one of the frustrating things about the debate that media likes the debate and certain political parties like to divide Canadians by talking about how it's Alberta versus BC or Alberta versus Quebec. I find that very frustrating because we're Canadians and we want to figure this out. So number one, let's again break it down. Alberta has greenhouse gas emissions. Almost the same amount of emissions come from the coal-fired power plants to generate electricity for Albertans as come from the oil sands. Albertans right now have lost a lot of jobs, not because of any environmental measures, but because previous governments in Alberta, particularly following Ralph Klein's advice, decided to ignore the kind of good advice that had come from Peter Lougheed, the Premier of Alberta, who envisioned developing the oil sands. Peter Lougheed's plan was to develop the oil sands and build refineries and upgraders in Alberta so that there would be stable jobs over mm -hmm. the long term because they would be refining the product in Alberta to sell within Canada. That, that insulates you quite a lot against the global booms and busts that are created by things like Saudi Arabia uh, upping its exports to bring down the price of a barrel of oil and in the process hurting a lot of Albertans. So we can be in this together and figure it out. And what you do is you say, okay, if there's just as many greenhouse gases virtually coming from coal-fired power plants in Alberta, back to point one I was making earlier, get carbon out of electricity. Have Alberta's electricity generated 100% by wind, solar, and hydro. All doable. But is Alberta doing that? No. They're putting a target of getting rid of coal-fired power plants uh, by 2030, and they plan to do it by converting coal plants to natural gas plants, and those will be uh, carbon emitters and, and not not achieving the big win we could achieve by shutting down coal-fired power in Alberta and moving directly to wind, solar, and hydro. And if people say, well, what happens when the wind isn't blowing? What happens when the sun isn't shining? This is the genius of what's happening around the world now with storage. You can, you can do pump storage, and if you have excess wind, you can put it into pumping water up into a reservoir, release it when you need it. I mean, there are, the, the, there are solutions that allow Alberta to be 100% off carbon electricity. If you do that, you've bought yourself a lot of time to go into the oil sands and say, right, we're still producing at X amount, maybe 2 million barrels of oil a day. That's not really oil, it's solid bitumen, but it, it, it's measured as barrels of oil. Let's keep to 2 million barrels of oil a day, but let's not be fighting with everybody to try to mix that solid bitumen with diluent, creating a very dangerous substance and put it in pipelines where if it spills, you can't clean it up. Mm -hmm. Let's keep that bitumen in Alberta, build up graders, which takes jobs, build refineries, which creates not only the jobs in building the refinery, but jobs pr for the long-term processing. And let's sell that product to Canadians. 
instead of fighting over how do we export it to China. These solutions would create more jobs in Alberta. And then, of course, over the long term, we'll be using less and less and less fossil fuels. Uh, but if you're if you were to start producing bitumen uh, in Alberta that's upgraded and refined in Alberta, we could stop importing 800,000 barrels of oil a day into Atlantic Canada from Saudi Arabia and Nigeria and Kazakhstan. Uh, you know the the the, uh, the, the battle that uh, bad media coverage misunderstands this issue. So fundamentally, the idea that Energy East, for example, would have taken Alberta bitumen to refineries in eastern Canada to be processed domestically is nothing but propaganda because mm. bitumen is a solid material and there and it needs to be upgraded before it can be refined and there are no upgraders in New Brunswick. Yeah. So it, it was absolutely of, of the – there would have been two product lines in Energy East. Uh, one product line would be back in shale, the stuff that blew up in Lac Mégantique. It can be refined in refinery in New Brunswick, but that was a minority part of the product line that was proposed for Energy East. 80% of what was being proposed for Energy East was the solid bitumen mixed with diluent. Again, the substance that they create to make a solid material go through a pipeline is called dilbit, and you cannot clean it up. If it spills, it's the worst substance that we that we know of in terms of oil spills or something that looks like oil that you just can't clean up because the bitumen celebrate, se separates from the bitumen, separates from the diluent, the bitumen sinks. I mean, I won't go on and on about it, but it makes sense to say, why don't we process the bitumen in Alberta and stop importing the foreign oil and plan over a couple of decades that we transit from bitumen for fossil fuel and burning to bitumen for carbon molecules for the petrochemical industry, for plastics and other products that we continue to use, but we don't burn them up. If you're not burning them up, you're not contributing to greenhouse gases. So it's it's really so unfortunate, lamentable, that we're presented with false choices, like how do you help people with jobs in the oil sands and meet your climate targets, as if these are incompatible and irreconcilable goals. They are reconcilable. It just takes thinking like a country and figuring out, and it also takes actually not letting the transnational oil companies decide our energy policy because the transnational oil companies don't want to build refineries in Canada. We used to have in the 1970s, we had 40 refineries, four zero refineries in mm -hmm. Canada. We're now down to 16. So there's, there's, uh, it, there's a clear pattern here, and it's that the transnational, multinational oil companies have built refineries in other countries where labor is cheaper. And now they want us to dig a raw product out of the ground and ship it directly to where they've already built their refineries. Well, if we decide to keep it domestically and use it domestically until we've met our own energy needs before exporting, that's a choice Canadian policymakers can make and transnationals can live with it. And I know we're pretty much out of time, so I want to ask one quick final question. And that's as average Canadians, you know, sitting here in Hamilton and asking these questions, sitting around the dinner table in Alberta, uh, hanging out in an apartment building in Saanich, uh, what can we do to make a real difference? What can we do to actually move this forward? Well, Canadians have tried and been successful in many ways in, you know, we've done, we, we have 
had successes. I'd say ratifying Kyoto was a success. Obviously, Stephen Harper pulling out of pulling us out of it was a, a terrible loss. I tend to explain it in two ways. People often think about what do I do for myself? I guess I'll I'll drive less. That's important. I'll take the bus more. So shrinking your carbon footprint, but that isn't as enough. And really, what's effective is expanding, growing your political footprint. So yes, by all means, um, pick one day a week and don't eat meat that day. Pick, uh, find ways that you reduce how often you're using uh, your car or truck. But beyond that, tell your MP, tell your local newspaper from Hamilton, uh, they have got the Hamilton Spectator, mm -hmm. also write the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and say, I am uh, not willing to wait any longer for action on climate. I want to see more done. I want to see Justin Trudeau meet what he's promised us in living up to our Paris targets. And frankly, the, the target that, that Trudeau has now accepted, which is the same target left behind by Stephen Harper, is not consistent with what we promised to do at the Paris uh, negotiations almost two years ago. So it's, it's, it's whatever voice, whatever message you want to send, uh, imagine yourself with a bullhorn that you're delivering your message municipally, provincially, and federally, and saying really clearly, I want to see action. We know there's jobs in, uh, in, a, in, in fighting the climate crisis. We know we have a huge economic risk in ignoring the climate crisis. And by taking action now, we secure this, this nation for our kids and the planet for our kids. So I just, you know, advice is really um, speak up, be loud, get political. And I don't mean by that get involved with a particular political party. Just make sure people know that you want to see action. And then in your own life, do the things that are sensible. But don't beat yourself up because you end up having to to take a car to work. Our system right now is hardwired to being car dependent and that's the society we're in. But we can turn we can shift fast. Think about how fast it was that that all of North America went from horse and buggy to model T Ford. It mm. happened very fast. And I project and I predict that we're gonna go from dirty electricity to clean electricity and from driving around in fossil fuel um, uh, dependent polluting vehicles to driving around in clean vehicles that don't rely on the internal combustion engine. And it can happen, uh, in, you know, virtually in the blink of an eye. That's it for the show and the season, folks. I want to thank Ms. May for taking time while at the House of Commons for this interview. And as always, I want to thank you for listening. Remember to sign up for Defender Radio updates at thefurbears.com slash updates for your chance to win an awesome gift bag from Lush Cosmetics. There will be a brief break in episodes while I begin recording for Season 5, but you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio and on Instagram at Howie Michael to stay in touch and get some sneak previews. Defender Radio will return the week of November 13th. Until then, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.